Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk everything Watford uh, with regular uh, contributors Jordan Weimer and of course Tom Burdell. Uh, Tom, let's start with yourself. How, how are you doing on this uh, bitterly disappointing uh, morning that we're, we're enjoying here on Sunday? Yeah, exactly. It's um, I'm, I'm stuck. Uh, my head is in two kind of places. The first being, I think, as, as all Watford fans are today, kind of very reflective on on yesterday and and being you know that that overall kind of mood being quite negative after the performance and the result but equally trying to kind of keep everything in perspective and then we'll also get into that but you know it's been uh, a difficult period it's going to be a difficult period I think there's there's only so much dwelling on what's been that is uh, that is, is beneficial and we have to kind of look look forward not that it obviously gets any easier but yeah kind of trying to not uh not sort of underplay how poor yesterday was but equally not uh not you know being too down in the dumps about it and trying to apply some some uh rationale and and, and some context to the situation no i thought we were um i thought we were really bad honestly um i just didn't work at all Liverpool obviously dictated the game from the start and there's no real shame in losing to a team like Liverpool and a team like that Liverpool. It's just the manner in which you lose can kind of tell you a lot about your team. And I thought, it, I thought we kind of saw everything we didn't want to see in that game. Um, the approach was, I mean, potentially questionable, but obviously the the personnel available and some of the application wasn't great either. So as a whole, it was just very very poor. Um, and I thought we just we looked miles off it. I thought we were we were terrible, honestly. <laughs> Mm. I was really looking forward to the day, actually. I, I don't get to go to every Watford fixture mm. that I would like to, because obviously my job as a, as a commentator means that I have to go and commentate on, on other games, usually. Um, but uh, I didn't have anything on, on that on that day, so I was able to go along. Really looking forward to it. I took a mate with me, um, and I, I felt like apologising to him, because because no one should be invited to go along with me to watch that. It, uh, to be honest, it, it was... Um, it was a good spectacle for for you know for a neutral, but for a Watford fan, oh, it wasn't a very good day. But it, let's um, maybe scale back the um, negativity. The negativity, yes, because it was his first game in charge, mm. and the man has only just arrived here, um, and you know he needed this game really to 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 know 
what the problems are. And I'm actually almost pleased in a way that he didn't get some kind of miraculous victory because it would have papered over the cracks that yeah. we know exist there. And now he's, you know, Ranieri has had this chance to see exactly what the issues are in front of him. And, and, and hopefully he knows a bit more about how, how he can, you know, change things. Yeah. I will absolutely look. There are no secrets left after that, are there? That was a, you know, it was, it was, it was horrible for all watching and I'm sure he will have, you know, not enjoyed it obviously um but there's you know every the cards are on the table now we know that the absolute worst of this team all the problems that he has to fix in every area of the field collectively and, and individually um you know that is as good a fact-finding mission as, as you can can get really i think isn't it watching 90 minutes in person um i think yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's, you know, it's, it's easy to talk about how bad it was, but I think there are some things, and, and, and these things don't excuse it, but, you know, there are some mitigating circumstances and factors that have to be taken into account. First and foremost, I think, is the fact that we often talk about the fact that the club like to change manager during an international break. It obviously means that they don't go immediately into a game, which is good, but the drawback of that is that we do have, despite that level of performance yesterday, quite a few international players who are kind of jet-setting around the globe. And I, I counted it yesterday that there were five starters, um, Kutska, Cathcart, Messina, Trustekong and Ismail Assar, who were away on international duty, getting back uh, probably any time after Tuesday by the looks of it. A few of them had games on the Tuesday. And then there were another uh, four on the bench, Loser, Backman, Tufan and Ken Semmer. Again, the latest of those playing on Tuesday. So not knowing exactly when they get back, but you would reasonably assume the earliest they were getting back was Wednesday that doesn't give him an awful lot of time to work with those guys. So this idea that you've got kind of two weeks, yeah, you do with some of them, but it, it's a bit of a misnomer. So I think that's one thing to to take into uh, into consideration. The other being uh, quite simply that we had a lot of players that were unavailable one way or another. Obviously, you know, we discussed in advance um, the centre-back issues. You know, Sierra Alta, I think, would be a starter for most people. Was and, and probably in most people's view is our best centre-back, was missing. New signing Nicholas Nkulu was unavailable. Christian Cabasele was unavailable. Uh, we've obviously lost Peter Atebo uh, in, in, the, in the last few weeks to a long-term injury. Um, and there was Joshua King as well who was missing. So, you know, not necessarily saying they would, those guys would have come in and changed things, but, you know, those are some pretty significant players for us, you know, within the context of being Watford. Um, to, to to be without. Obviously, having said all that, we have to say that Liverpool were missing Alisson and uh, Fabinho due to uh, quarantine rules after international duty. But I, I think, relatively speaking, we were we were hit pretty hard with those absences. So you know, there's that to to take into account as well. And that and that's why you know it's important to analyse the game and 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 look back. But also, we've got to look forward and say, right, you know, that was kind of rock bottom now there are reasons why we're going to improve from from here getting those players back and you know the the single thing that gave me most cause for optimism about appointing Ranieri was that he's you know a good tactician he is an experienced manager with he will be quick to instill discipline and organization and a plan in those players and you know from this day forward he has that opportunity now with everyone back there is obviously an international break next month as well which we we could probably do without but uh yeah you know that's it's not a foundation necessarily foundations are solid and strong but it's it's uh it's the starting point to build from and i hope that we're only going to get stronger 
what did we see from um, from Ranieri's team selection and and his formation choice that um, differed from how Cisco played? And um, mm. does it look like that's going to be the the sort of method that he's going to go forward with, or do you think that was just a an option he was playing for Liverpool, knowing what mm. they bring to the table? Good question. I think the the first to answer the first part. You know, it was it was a team evidently set up to contain, wasn't it? What you know, the club, and I've said this before on the pod. You know, they they regularly kind of put out, oh, this is the team, this is the shape, um, and you know, there's a bit of misleading there. And there, and there was yesterday, wasn't there, with this sort of suggestion it was going to be a a four four one one four four two sort of thing, and and and, and maybe it was going to be with the ball, but we didn't have enough of the ball to see that in action. Mm. Um, but without the ball, it was very clearly a back five. Yeah, well, I mean, you had Rose as the outside centre back, and then Massner as that left wing back. Effectively, I'm I'm kind of a little bit surprised they went that way around, um, but perhaps they just perhaps Ranieri thought the agility of of Rose might be a little bit more of a match for Salah as he's pressing forward, and Massner is able to kind of get back and be that physical presence just in just in front of him. But I mean, I, I, you can see some of the reasoning there, but it, regardless, it didn't work at all. I thought that was the real, obviously, the real weak point. Um, Danny Rose got kind of skinned all game from uh, from Salah, and it was extremely difficult for him to keep up. So that didn't work, and that was kind of the that was the first kind of signs that things just weren't going to be working that afternoon. But I mean, aside from that, we were just unable to retain any sort of possession whatsoever, and I thought we were just complete bystanders and not really a factor in the game for Liverpool at all. I thought it was a little bit strange, but to be honest, I could see the sense in it, particularly uh, sorry having those those two Messina and Rose on the left particularly you know against Liverpool knowing that a lot of their threat is going to come down that right hand side with uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mohamed Salah so you could you could see the logic in that I also could see the logic in um Ismail Assar being the kind of lone forward I think that's a decision that's 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 drawn quite a bit of criticism but you know given his pace given we weren't expecting to have the lot, a lot of the ball his ability to run at people and the fact that he's a good finisher and he's proven it against Liverpool in the past, I could kind of see the logic in that. If you know, if we're going to spring a, on the counter attack, there's probably no one else you'd rather have streaking away to go up against the last defender or go through against the goalkeeper than Ismail Assar is there. So, you know, those aspects I could see. It was it was evidently a team set up to contain, sit very deep, very kind of narrow in midfield. You could you could see that throughout. They were quite happy to sort of try and. Um, you know, funnel the, the the Liverpool play through the channels, um, but ultimately it, it didn't work, and we we took uh, we took a bit of a battering. I think it's just pace on, on the break. Um, if you're going to be sitting deep and uh, try and kind of try and get, if you're playing that three at the back, then you, you can't really play Sar so much in that wide position unless you're going to play uh, more of a three four three. And I think we did try and do that at times, but. I think he just felt that through the centre of the pitch, Saar was able to kind of drift to either side depending on the attack and it maybe gave us a little bit more variety. Um, if he's on that right-hand side, you kind of are limited to, to try and push that ball through that side. Um, I think that's an attempt just to kind of get our best player in a position that he can have chances and score goals. But look, I mean, we didn't even get in a position where we could counter, where we could actually counter effectively. So Saar was effectively rendered useless anyway. Um, there was a couple of opportunities. He had one or two breaks, didn't he? But it was nothing that was really that notable um, or, or at least something that we felt like would have any impact on the game as a whole um, so I can see some of the logic in some of the changes and some of the decisions made but when you're playing against a team that's as good as Liverpool um, with some of the personnel we had in that system I don't think that helps either and 
it just didn't come together. In terms of whether that's how we're going to set up every week, I think for the immediate future, it might well have to be given, um, you know, the, the well-publicised fixture list that we've got. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that's going to be how we set up every week because I do think we've got, certainly in the forward areas, more quality than that. We can go out and, and try and play a little bit. But, um, you know, with, with the fixtures that we've got, uh, you know, Chelsea City, Arsenal, United... Uh, to Everton, Leicester to come, and Southampton. Um, you know, we've, we're gonna, we're gonna, there's going to have to be an element of pragmatism, and I think from the starting point that we've got, the first thing is is making ourselves hard to beat. And I, I kind of think, you know, it doesn't say it because we we lost five nil, but you know, perhaps in the setup, what have you, there was more kind of pragmatism than we've seen. Um, under Chisco previously, where I kind of felt like he was still trying to attack games in the way that we had last season when we won the best teams in the division we were in so um, the end result not good you could see what he was trying to do um, but it but it evidently didn't work and I think that's you know there's more to that than just Liverpool being very very good yeah a lot's been made about the um the, the, the you know the next eight games being being massive ones in, in terms of the, the the quality that we're facing but with regards to the next two uh, you know I wouldn't maybe I mean maybe it's it, it's easy to do this because they're not part of the bit the top six, but I wouldn't put Everton or all Southampton into that sort of like lineup of 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 you know hard to play games. I, I think these are two that we really need to you know somehow manage to find some form for because you know these are the sort of teams that we should be challenging against, aren't they? Everton are an interesting team, aren't they? They're, I think they've got a very good manager under Benitez, very well coached, very well set up, and you know kind of someone who gets the absolute absolute maximum out of his players and almost maybe what we kind of hope Ranieri's going to do. It'll be interesting to see. We're recording um, before they play today, so we you know we don't know what's going to happen there, but if they get a win, then they're in a good position coming into the, the game at Goodison next week. In terms of Southampton, though, yeah, absolutely. Look, they're one of the, the you know, definitely one of the weaker teams in this division. One, uh, yesterday against Leeds, which doesn't, doesn't help us. You know, they hadn't, they hadn't won at all. Uh, prior to yesterday so their, their tails are going to be up but absolutely given the the kind of context of the season and those fixtures you know we've got to be targeting three points at, at home to Southampton but they'll be you know look they'll be targeting a win against us won't they um, given given the, the, the kind of form we've been in so it's these two games I think I do feel like these are two really big ones and potentially going to shape um our our season from here on because as you say after that it's it's Arsenal, Man United, Leicester, Chelsea, City, and even after that Brentford as well who have obviously made a very good start. So, um, you know we can we can probably absorb poor results against them if we get something from Everton and Southampton. If we don't, then it could be looking very bleak by the start of December. Mm, could indeed. Um, let's talk a little bit about the goalkeeping situation for the minute here because mm. someone who, who's got quite a bit of criticism off the back of that game is Ben Foster mm. yeah what's your opinion on this Max I feel like our opinions might differ on this one I think that what Ben Foster started last season was was truly was truly great um, from both you know a, a, a sort of a, an idea of finding himself you know a career for after he retires and he's close to retirement and also to try and engage all of the fans who at the time were going through you know all kinds mm. of different problems mainly associated with you know the coronavirus hitting people so hard um and he was able to bring fans in to, to you know just to, 
to make them smile for you know a few minutes um every week just to sort of give them that kind of inside access that that we've never really had the the you know the, the kind of viewpoint to see so coming into this season oh I, I was expecting probably that exactly the same kind of content and stuff but i thought because the natural transition from first team uh number one goalkeeper to sort of backup goalkeeper uh it wouldn't be a problem because it would it just lends itself to that kind of um i don't know that kind of alter look doesn't it because you're pr- primarily mm. going to be supporting the squad from a kind of um backup position so you know it's not like it would affect too much at the the football but obviously now that he's been given the um the first team shirt um again um i suppose people are questioning whether this is going to get in in the way now if people you know cast their minds back to when he first started this he was the number one choice in the championship until sort of halfway through and it didn't seem to affect his performances then i don't see why it would affect any of his performances in in the premier league but um i understand why people are asking the question as to you know is this going to cause some kind of issue for for his i don't know performance because maybe he's no longer 100 percent committed to just training and getting himself fit for the um you know for the game he's got this other sort of like side on but every football player has got a hobby of some kind or, or something that they enjoy doing that might be playing golf and just because they don't happen to film it and let people inside their mm. you know their their, their <laughs> lives that, that no one seems to care that they've got a second hobby that they enjoy doing for ben foster clearly he enjoys um this uh, social media uh, youtube world that he's sort of got into and obviously he's got free time just like everyone else that has a job um isn't always working and for me, I don't think it's a problem, but I can understand why people are asking the question. But what's your thoughts? On yeah, that? well, yeah, I don't. I, 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 do you know what? You made such a good point in the middle of that. I've got to say, you're right. Just because he films it and puts it on YouTube, you know, every player has other interests and hobbies and passions. You know, no one's no one's said. Well, actually, that's what I was about to say was no one's criticizing Marcus Rashford for for having interests outside of football. Insofar as you know, holding the government to account. And standing up for kids and and so on, but I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said didn't he, um, prior to the weekend, you need to concentrate on football, which is just you know, <laughs> grow up, Ollie, like Christ. Um, but you know, most people, you can't tell me that anyone believes that these players go home and either just think about football or practice until you know until match day. They've all got a million and one other things because they're human beings and they have other lives. I think the th- other things in their lives outside of football, I think the problem perhaps is that it puts a bit of a target on his back yes. and makes and makes it very easy to to question him and, and criticise him. And, and as I say, I don't want to kind of you know call out other fans. Uh what for fans in the, the day we all we all love the same team. We all got the same kind of cause at heart. But um I, I do I, I do find it hard to align with that view that it's affecting him in some way, or it's it's a it's a problem. I do think, however, that um, I'm sure you've seen this this allow uh, giving tickets to a uh, kind of celebrity. Uh, I think he's a UFC fighter. I must admit, I'm not a, a follower of, but um, a fighter who's a Liverpool fan who got kicked out of the Watford end yesterday, and then sort of chipped off um, on social media about us being a horrible club. I, th- I think that's quite a bad look, bringing that sort of negative publicity onto the club I think I think that was fairly ill-advised um you know regardless of how it came about but but with Foster you know some of the stuff I've seen you know this 
I saw I saw yesterday a couple of people sort of saying he's he's got Mohamed Salah in his fantasy team and he's he's captained him. That's that's tantamount to match fixing. I'm just thinking, really, like, come on, you know, you can't tell me that he's hey, the only look, footballer playing fantasy prem. Same so. here. <laughs> if, that's, honestly, if you're a Watford fan and you didn't captain Mohamed Salah yesterday and you play FPL. You've you've dropped a ricket because he always bloody scores against us. And and to be fair, so does Firmino. I wish I'd stuck him in as well. Yeah, um, you know, if you get if it, yeah, that's it. You know, being a little bit flippant about it, but I just I just can't. I just find this so hard to believe. And I think the two thing the thing that I, the problem I have is you can take the belief that he's been poor in his performance. You can take the belief that the YouTube and you know his kind of personality outside of football is a problem. But to kind of conflate, I think there's a bit of been a bit of conflation of the two that there's, you know, there's a correlation. But because he's on YouTube and he's, you know, growing this kind of personality and he's got his podcast and what have you, that is, uh, you know, the result of that is performance level decline. I just I just can't buy that for, for one second. So I, I just really struggle with the whole thing. But I, I, look, people that have got different views, I'd absolutely encourage you to, to tweet me about it because I, I, I find it really interesting I really really find this this whole thing interesting it's such a kind of modern day football problem isn't it that you've got a goalkeeper who's a kind of celebrity in his own right because of his YouTube channel and to be honest I'll say this I'll say this as it just popped into my head I've, I've criticised Deeney in the past for becoming you know almost kind of um, outgrowing the club and, and kind of transcending the club as an individual with some of his kind of comments the cojones thing and and what have you you know I've, I've kind of bashed him for that and and said you know I don't think that's in the best interest of the club so maybe maybe I'm being a bit of a hypocrite so you know I genuinely am would encourage people to tweet me with their with their thoughts on on the matter because it does intrigue me um look for me personally like I'm not I'm if, if people enjoy it I completely get it Ben Foster's stuff isn't is I'm not particularly interested in his videos I don't I'm just not it's just not my thing but um I think it has a place in some respects. I know a lot of people enjoy it. I I, I don't know. I kind of come down on the... I'd say I come down the other side to you in a sense. I don't think... I think the argument to say it's affecting his performances or even the team's performances, I think that argument, personally, I don't, I don't kind of align with that at all. Um, I don't think it has any effect. And as you, and kind of, as you say earlier, players should and do have other interests outside of the football. Uh, they have to have a life. They're not just robots that are dedicated to the club. I get that. Um, for sure, but I do think as as a professional athlete, as someone that's signed a contract to represent and play for um, a professional football club, I do think you have an obligation to put that first. I'm not saying that he's putting his YouTube career first, but I think it's at the point where his his YouTube videos are having a direct impact on the club, even if it's purely from a PR standpoint. Um, even just creating a negative buzz around things uh, and, and having that negative lens in the club it does have an impact and it, it does affect fan relations with the club and, and players are meant to be ambassadors for the team and they're meant to be able to you know, interact with the fans and whilst it might be positive for some fans there's clearly a large fan, uh, ba- large portion of the fan base which are uncomfortable with it and don't like it even if their opinion is in, in my mind wrong that it's not having an impact if there's any sort of way to look at it in that capacity then it's an issue um, I, I think you have to you have to ask yourself and, and Ben Foster has to kind of be, be in a position and think to himself, is this something that's benefiting benefiting the club which I'm paid by um, and, and I'm contracted to or is it, an, is it a hindrance in any capacity? Not just on the pitch, you have to look at it as a whole because as I said, he is an, he is an ambassador and a representative of the club. So 
I think there's there's definitely room and and justification for those at the club to not be that happy with it. Um, and I know there's more attention going towards it when things are negative, um, but I, I do think this one, when you tie in with uh, the whole Paddy Plimbert thing and also um, some other things that have been going on as well, and it, it's just a, it's just a bit frustrating. I think as well when you we kind of get that feeling and you, you have that air of. <sighs> It is specifically to do with negative results because he has that kind of his attitude that he has the kind of like happy go lucky attitude regards the result treats it as a job you know positive that's a, that's a, that can be a necessary thing to have around a dressing room you sometimes have to have a little bit of a little bit of levity around the place someone that doesn't kind of take everything too hardly and harshly especially as an older professional I'm sure that he's had to do that especially with some of the things he's had in his career he's had to kind of take that slight step back from things and look at things as a bigger picture and and try and be a little bit more positive so I understand that can come across as lack of interest or commitment um, and you know lack of caring but you have to be you have to be considerate of that as a player. The same way that when when players join, they get they ask do the interview. They say you know about how much they like, how, how much they were impressed by the club, and how much they're looking forward to meeting. All this stuff is all kind of fan service stuff, but it's expected because you have to show a certain level of professionalism. I think when you get to the whole like end of the game stuff, you're speaking to Mo Salah, you're trying to get a shirt, or whatever is happening. Um, you, you're doing the captions on your YouTube channel, to, you know, talking about Liverpool and all the whole water player stuff. It's just, it just becomes a little bit. Um, I, I think, it, I think, it grinds in your gears after a while. And look, I'm not, I'm not. This also isn't something to me that bothers me when we're winning or losing. It's all I've always felt the same about this. Uh, I, even if we're winning, I feel kind of the same. And it's, it's not a massive. Personally, it's not an issue I feel massively strongly about. But as it, as it progresses, I've definitely cared more. And I think the more I see of it, the the less I kind of think it's working. That's just that's just my opinion on it. But the reasons it started were certainly were very noble, weren't they? As, as you outlined a minute ago, it, it was you know a, great, a clever thing to do, a good thing to do at a time when we all felt more distant from 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 football and from Watford than, than ever before. So um, there, there are definitely positives to it as well. It's, it's a tricky one. Mm. With regards to the Foster Backman debate, though, as to who should be the number one currently, I. Um, mm. I was I was pretty happy with with the transition that took place last season when Backman took over the gloves and you know and, and was the number one man. And I was I I think his performances last season deserved to to get the start for for the Premier League campaign. And I don't believe that he really that he that he did anything bad enough to 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 you know get the get the you know the axe. I mean I realise of course mm. part of it was was due to the injury, but I don't see why. He shouldn't have been restored to the team personally. Um, although, although Foster actually has been pretty good, and um, you know the people on 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 Twitter who were slating him for yesterday, I, I I'm not sure what game you were watching. I don't think any any. I, I mean, we could have had Allison, you know, uh, in in our goal uh, trying to keep out those those, those goals, <laughs> and I don't think that it would have uh, yeah. it would have resulted in much more than than the five goals that we conceded. So, you know, actually, he made some really good saves as well, particularly from Salah. So I mean, if he if he um if he really wanted him to score, he was doing a bad job of it, keeping out some of those some of those efforts from him. So um, no, I think he I think he had he had a good performance. Um, it's a weird situation I guess because I'm kind of backtracking on myself, aren't I? I don't mind if either of them are in goal because I think they're both they're both decent. I suppose no, it, it's that's probably, it. I, I suppose I it's think, probably better to have Backman because he's the future. Um, mm. and you'd like to think that. You know he's going to be hopefully with Watford for a couple of seasons, whereas Foster 
this might be his last one. Maybe next season will be his last one. But, you know, you can't see him here in five years' time, can you? Unless it's in some kind of no. coaching role, which it doesn't seem to be. That's the sort of thing that he'd like to go into. So maybe Backman is the better person to be, you know, given given the, opp- given the opportunity and then allowed to get better uh, effectively because you you know like like anybody would if you if you're playing more premier league games you will get better at playing premier league football and and facing the kind of you know talent that you know isn't quite there in the championship so yeah i mean look for me i'd have i'd want back when there every single time um i think yeah and i'd be lying if i said that i'd be lying if i said the youtube thing didn't play a part in it but i i think i like backman's character i think he's a competitor i like I like what he's done in the last couple of seasons. He's getting that international experience. He's he's doing well, and I think I think you ride with that. Ben Foster. I mean, what we're talking about next year, maybe Max um, available to us. I think we have to kind of go with the guy who got the future invested in um, and reassess in the summer. But I want to see what Backman is in the full or as close to a full season in the Premier League as you can get. Then that, that's great for me. So I don't think there's a massive difference between the two. Um, I think you're kind of doing yourself a disservice to to go with a 38 year old, and you've got. You've got a keeper that's coming up to his prime. There, you're not quite. There's still much, there's still more to find out on. So why not give yourself the opportunity to see what you've got in your hands and uh, and you might you might kind of get rewarded for doing so. So that would be my personal choice. But but I will say sorry. What I will say so one thing real quick is that obviously that is um, that viewpoint is is different for a manager that comes in the short term basis to where you know they're not too worried about what's going to be happening to the goalkeeper next year. They might not even be here next year, kind of thing. So I do understand from Manieri's point of view, if he feels that Foster's better, or he feels that he can rely on Foster a little bit more, then I also think it's justified to go with that too. <clears throat> I think I, I agree with all of that. And I think um, the thing for me was I was happy to run with Backman because I didn't feel like there was this this massive chasm between the two of them, right? And I think that's the problem. You can almost flip-flap between them because, I, you know, for, for what um, Backman lacks, Foster maybe has, and what Foster lacks... Backman maybe has. I think we have to make a decision and stick with one of them, though. That's that's the crucial thing yeah, for me. Do, so you know, that's that's the the job. I think probably number one job or one of the number one jobs for for Renieri, isn't it? In the next week or so, is to s- settle on who's going to be his actual number one. And I I don't really think that Foster would have an issue with being number two. You know, he seems no. like a he would be a good cheerleader to Backman. So um, I was happy with Backman, but I was equally happy to see Foster come in. So here I am, sat on the fence. There you go. Me too. We're both <laughs> on the fence next to each other. Um, just like, just where you want to be. Just give yeah, me, get me a beer it. and I'll be on that fence. Um, <laughs> right. So we're talking about uh, experience that that Foster brings to the, to the team, and um, he's probably one of the only players that I could count yesterday that I felt brought any experience to that team. It seemed like a team devoid of. Uh, experience and with that experience, leadership, and that's the quality. That's the real quality that I want to hone in on here because that team mm. just looked leaderless. And I, I appreciate yeah. Ranieri has only just come in the door, um, so I'm going to you know forget about him for a minute here. Um, I'm sure that he can bring that kind of leadership from the management point of view as he gets more uh, more, more opportunity to work with the players. But on the pitch, um, the kind of role that you know, a Troy Deeney was filling at one point in time. Uh, it seems to no longer be occupied by anybody at the minute, at least in my opinion from yesterday. Yeah, I do think it is a little bit lacking. Obviously, it's hard to say from the outside. There's lots of different types of leaders that you have in a the, in the team. Um, you don't necessarily have to have that one figurehead as much anymore. Um, but I think Truce Kong has definitely showed some of that. Um, 
obviously cleverly and I, for me I think it's more important to get a, a team with varying styles of leadership in there um, you have to have players that that draw from different areas and I think we've got a decent balance I think Sissoko is someone that's always talked about as having just his intangibles are something that have really kind of elevated his career beyond his playing ability as good as he can be I think he, he's vital off the pitch and he has been at every club he's been at um, as far as I'm aware so I think he's someone that it makes sense that he's been the captain but um, I mean, yeah, it's nice to have that one figurehead. I think we've been very used to it with the likes of Troy, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily as as important as long as you have the leadership in the right in the right areas. Um, in terms of having a coach which is kind of strong in his opinion and and, and shows kind of a good level of leadership, which I think Ranieri's always been renowned for um, how he interacts with his players and how he how he gets his points across. And then from there, it's just that trickle-down effect, that, that kind of dichotomy of leadership. You allow those others to, to take up those positions, whether it be with the armband or whether it whether it's kind of players that, that help with the younger guys or just learn to, to kind of push things forward within their own smaller groups. Um, so it's a little bit hard to judge from our position, but for me, you just want to see the captain on the pitch be someone that's obviously good at communicating and able to talk to the referee and just the kind of basic stuff really for me. No, I agree. And I, I tweeted this yesterday evening in, in discussion with a couple of people and I got the number wrong. I said, we must have had four or five captains this season. In the league, we've had six people have been captain. Cleverly, Foster, Cathcart, Trustikov, and Cabasalian now. Sissoko. And I think in this country, particularly, there's a bit of an obsession, certainly with the England captaincy, but you know, with, with who is captain at any given club, I think there's a bit of an obsession with it that maybe you don't get in other in other nations in Europe. Um, but I think there's also something in that that for so long we had Troy Deeney and he was the figurehead and the talisman and the leader and he was the one who set the standards and you know pulled people up on things if they weren't doing enough and and really led by example and you know I've got no issue with any of those individuals being captains at any point they're all experienced pros they're all at one time or another internationals as well and you know crikey Musa Soko's won a bloody world cup for crying out loud and was a pretty key part of that so you know you would say of anyone in that team he's got as much right to be captain as anyone else but I agree it just it all you know yesterday it just all felt a bit rudderless and leaderless and there was no one really kind of cajoling or you know saying come on head you know get your heads together calm down do this do that just leading by example um, you know, and that's not to say Sissoko himself did a bad job being captain, but I just think it's it's indicative of a deeper problem and and you know a more widespread problem. And, and to be honest, the fact that we've had so much change this summer, I did so much research in preparation for this. I'm going to throw some numbers at you now. But over the summer, we lost Deeney, Hughes, and Chalabar, who between them had 663 Watford appearances, and obviously the the bulk of those were were Deeney's. But I just think, you know, those three guys were probably all big leaders in that dressing room. We were all captains at one point uh, last season. I think Hughes did it as well at some stage, I think. Um, but, you know, they'd been around the club. They knew the standards that were expected. They knew how things were done. And they kind of, you know, they were the link between the fans and the team. And I just think, you know, losing all three of those guys and signing a lot of players this summer, albeit a lot of them were experienced. You know, Kutska's got a lot of caps for Slovakia. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis has played a lot for Nigeria. Um, Tufan has played a lot for Turkey, and obviously Danny Rose, England, former England international Sissoko, as I said, World Cup winner with France. You know, we're not we're not talking about complete kind of rookies here, but there's to me all of those kind of factors together. I just feel like 
particularly at a club where we know we're going to change coach, you have to have a bit of kind of continuity and identity and leadership within that dressing room. And I just wonder, you know, you can't imagine yesterday them capitulating. And there were just times when they looked like they'd just given up. Kind of melded together. It, it made a pretty made for a pretty ugly look yesterday. And I do worry in that respect, definitely. Man Who in possession. Who is the, but... the most likely candidate at the minute? I mean, you mentioned Sissoko there, who, who was captain yesterday. Do you think that he could be the, the man going forward? I mean, I suppose... You want your captain to be able to communicate with everybody on the pitch, um, ideally. Um, so Soko, yeah. you know, can speak English and French, and you know that that, that ticks a couple of boxes there. But um, I suppose to be fair, Troy Deeney didn't speak another language, so uh, I suppose that's not no, no. It's, it's not important. You need that kind of quality of someone who can um, pull everyone together and and kind of just that's it. You know, even with just a look, and and you're like, oh, I need to, you know, I need to work harder here type thing and, exactly and, and that's, that's it exactly and that's, that's it and I think at moments yesterday he would have done that he would have you know he I kind of got the impression he was a guy who knew that you know when was the right time to put an arm around someone and when was the right time to give someone that look as you're saying say you know come on bloody hell pull yourself together do better than that kind of thing and I just think without that it, you know we're a little bit rudderless and it was mentioned during the commentary that Tom Cleverley is the new club captain which I'd kind of assumed, but unless it's been said in a press conference, I've oh, never... Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't... No, exactly. I kind of assumed he would assume that role, assumed he would assume, um, but it's never been said in a press conference and I've not bought a programme for however many years. So, you know, I didn't realise that he had a, a, a column even in there until today when I was reading Adam Leventhal's piece this morning with my breakfast. Um, but, you know, he's not going to play every week, is he? He's not... I don't think he's a member of our strongest midfield. So someone is going to have to be the actual on-field captain and I, I do think that this kind of rotation thing doesn't work so we need to have someone and and you know if it's going to be Sissoko and it's going to be you know he might not be the force of personality Deeney was but he kind of leads by example and always you know setting the standards high and and, and what have you then then great but you know it needs to be someone and I think um, the longer we go on with this kind of um, you know job share um, that that is isn't healthy or, or helpful. Mm. Um, was he one of the few players to come out with some kind of uh, positives? Uh, you know, yeah. able to hold his head up high after that game. Yeah, I think so. I thought, you know, I thought he was a good signing when we got him in, and I, I, I still think that. I thought he was, um, yeah, one of the few players that really just sort of just kept going, just kept trying to help out the 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 the, the embattled defense and and really was you know he's trying to help out rose and messina certainly in the first half wasn't he um you know one of the few that when he actually got on the ball he didn't sort of immediately panic and just boot it aimlessly or give it away or get robbed in possession so yeah he was he was one of the few bright spots i also thought in fairness um that the two subs that came or two of the subs that came on at least in gakia and pedro both did very well yesterday and I would hope to see more of them. Obviously, Pedro, we know, has been kind of nursing his way back from fit to, to fit, being nursed back to fitness. Um, but you know, he looked he looked bold and and, and like he he wanted to make things happen. And obviously, it's 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 kind of easy to come on and play at four 0 down because you're you know you're not going to be culpable for what's gone before. So and and you know, there's you know nothing riding on the game at that stage. So you can almost just try anything. But it was it was noticeable that we improved. Uh, noticeable that we improved when he came on. And most of our 
threat if you break down the kind of the 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 the, um, the threat by where it came from. Uh, well, sorry, most of our threat, all of our threat, basically came down that left hand side um, yesterday. Sort of nothing came through the middle, and about ten percent down the right. But kind of ninety percent of the threat came down the left, and it was it was mostly um, you know Joao Pedro that was involved. So I think getting him backs. A good thing, and I thought Ngakia was good. And I, I, to be honest with you, don't necessarily blame Renu for this, but if it was me picking that team for yesterday, I'd have picked Ngakia because we know he's, you know, for all his kind of faults going forward, defensively, he's very solid. Defensively, he is very sturdy and resolute, and, you know, he's a good one on one defender. Oh, I mean, I think Ngakia and I think Ngakia, Pedro, and Sissoko are the real only positives to take away from that game in, in terms of being a one-on-one defender I don't think we've got a better one-on-one defender in the team I think in the squad I think he is the best um, and especially in games like that where you are going to be off the ball a little bit more maybe you consider that especially when Kiko hasn't completed the 90 minutes in a long time now um, but I remember his debut I was at his debut was the Liverpool at home on the opening day of whatever season that was and he came on early on for the shock horror injured Daryl Yanmat and he looked good going forward, but he got caught out defensively, caught out positionally on one of the goals. And that's always been the case with him. You know, he's great going forward, but he's not a natural defender. So knowing that we were going to have, um, you know, very little of the ball yesterday, I would have probably started Ngakia if it was me. Um, but equ- equally, while I mentioned Kiko, I'd love to know what the bloody hell is going on with him. He's He started four times this season and been subbed off in three of them can he not do 90 minutes anymore is he still carrying some sort of niggle it's all it's all very very strange to me he wasn't injured as far as I'm aware from the end of last season was he correct me if I'm wrong but it's Um, yeah it's all been very odd yeah I mean he's got soft tissue he's got a consistent soft tissue uh, injuries that hamstring is an issue for him Um, you know he's covered in KT tape all the time you know that he's got a lot of these these niggling issues that are piling up and I'm not sure what kind of what kind of workload he has in training, but you'd imagine he's on something diminished right now because he's barely making it to to half time. Um, so he's not fully fit, definitely, uh, and it's it's a worrying decision to make too because these things as it, they, they you know, pile up and eventually it can lead to something much more serious. Um, and you know we can't really afford to lose any more players. We've already lost a Tebow quite long term. Um, we don't have the depth to lose more, so we've got to be careful. We've got to manage it. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw Ngakia start partly for that reason. Um, I think Cathcart has definitely uh, got worse since, yeah. since since he were in the Premier League. Uh, you know, he was a, a a decent, not maybe not decent. He was a an average Premier League defender that I was happy to have. Now I feel as though he is a liability, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. he shouldn't be making that starting eleven. I appreciate there was no one else, so that's why he was there. But um, we need to. Uh, find out how how good Enkulu is that his name? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need to find out how good Enkulu is, um, uh, and and just get him on that pitch as, as soon as possible because hopefully he's 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 got something more than what Cathcart has. Uh, I mean Craig Cathcart, I think he's he's maybe declining slightly, um, but he's. I think I think Kay Kafka always has to be used correctly, and I think he has to have the right centre back partner to be to get the most out of him. He's generally pretty steady, but he's just looked a little bit off the pace in the last few games, and part of that might be down to lack of minutes. It might be age, you know, all these factors playing a part. It could be a combination of them all. Um, but he's definitely not been at his best this season. Look, it's hard to do worse, honestly, in terms of having availability. We just didn't simply have the depth. We needed a body in there, 
Uh, I think adding any professional centre-back would have made our defence better because we just didn't have the numbers. Um, but Nkulu is someone that's... His stock has been quite high at points and I, I think he's someone that can contribute, definitely. He's quite... From everything I've seen and read about Nkulu, he's, he seems to be quite tactically astute. He's you know, someone you can deploy in a variety of, of, of systems and someone that can play... Uh, for kind of straight from the office when he's physically fit um, and especially with a, a manager like Ranieri who requires a little bit more uh, mentally from his players having someone that can just kind of get to grips with some of those thoughts a little bit earlier might be useful and I think he'll add something yeah it, there's, there's every possibility he'll fight his way into the first team with what we have available um, so it, it's a positive for sure it's obviously an area we should have addressed properly um, in in the sense that we shouldn't have kind of waited until we're in a in a bind like we are and addressed it through free agency. It should have been something that we we looked to rectify in the in the window and, and maybe had a bit more of a long term plan in, in place. But it, it's where we are and we needed the player. So hopefully he can contribute soon because uh, as things stand, our, our centre backs and that kind of central defence is not looking the most stable. Um, Ishmaelia Saar, I don't I don't believe. A striker is really the right position for Ishmaelia Sarr. Um, I felt as though Watford's best play came in that second half once he had been moved out back to his sort of like more favoured right side. And once Pedro was sort of there, where I believe he can play effectively, that's when things started to get better. But th- having Ishmaelia Sarr up front for the, the majority of the game, it, it didn't work for me, Tom. Yeah, it didn't work. I could, as I said earlier, I could, I could see the logic in doing it because you know you're not going to have a lot of the ball, so you're going to have to probably break away at pace, and you know he's got that pace and dribbling ability, can can carry the ball, can beat players, and he's a decent finisher as well. So you, you kind of back him if he if he were to go um, go through one on one, but yeah, it, it didn't work. He he didn't he just didn't get the service basically, did he? he? Just wasn't in the game, and if he's your best player, you need to get him in in the game as often as possible. I, t- I tweeted a graphic earlier from uh, from my account with the, the kind of average first half positions uh, for our players, which is based on kind of any touch they take, the, the average position of that. And as you would imagine, everybody was very deep and inside our own half. And then there's this massive gap between uh, Kucho, who's kind of the most advanced player, and, and Ishmael Assar. And I just think that was, you know, so indicative of the, of the problems um, that he had yesterday, you you can't you needed him in a position where he could actually get on the ball and make things happen. But you know when we were so panicked and you know bloody um, um, hedgehog in the traffic light kind of thing, um, in the traffic light hedgehog in the headlight. I, what's the phrase? Something uh, in a head sheep in a deer in a headlight deer in a headlight. Deering me. Hedgehog, hedgehog um, in the traffic lights. Have you been watching? Hedgehog in the traffic. <laughs> there's your uh, there's your podcast name. Um, when when we were so dear in the headlight, every time we got the ball, it's it's little wonder that he got any service yesterday. Anyway, but yeah, it was just it was um it was it did I could see logic as I say, but it just didn't work out. And I don't know if that would maybe a more experienced player would have dropped back and got got tried to get more involved. I don't, I don't know, but you you want him high and and wide, really, don't you? Stretching the play and kind of isolating defenders and 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 sort of you know. Um, uh, uh, taking up the attention of more than one defender, ideally, so that it creates space for other people. But it, it just it just didn't work on any level. And, and as I say, g- given he's our best player by some distance, it was it was a chronic waste, basically. And I, I highly doubt we will see that experiment again anytime soon. I did though enjoy watching Cucho. I feel like 
he just gives you a bit of a lift when he gets on the ball, doesn't he? Because his first thought is to go forward. And, all, you know, he tried He tried probably the same thing four or five times, which is where he sort of goes down that left and then tries to cut in and score in pretty much the same manner in which he did against Villa. And you're like, well, you know, he'd done it before. Let's, let's see if he can do it again. And he came close on a couple of occasions, but Liverpool soon kind of found him out. But I, I still enjoyed... I enjoyed watching him on the ball, Tom, and, and I, I felt like he was one of the players who, you know, at least sort of wanted to wanted to prove himself today. Um, yeah, I think, look, he's direct and I think he's someone that can... I like that threat. I like him running in and, and cutting in and taking that shot at the far post because things can happen there. You can get blocks, you can get deflections, players can be coming in the far post and attacking the ball if it kind of ends up that in-between of a cross and a shot sort of situations we saw a few times. He's lively and I like that. Um you know, he's someone that can also play in that front two position or he can play from the left if you ask a little bit more defensively of him. He's actually, he's, he's, he's played a, certain, a fair number of games where he's had to contribute defensively in, in Spain. So I think that's something you can ask from him as well um, and still have a little bit of balance there. So he's, again, another player I'd look to be including in the team. We just got to find ways to, to get these players in the team that offer something and you know going both ways and can fit the system and how we're going to play. Liverpool might be an exception because we tried to alter things uh, maybe in more of an extreme manner than what we will do from in general games week to week because we're playing such a dominant force. Um, but I'd like to see us try and find that balance and hopefully this is a good opportunity. Whilst Everton are a better team than us, of course, um, there's definitely less of a gap there and I think we have to be a little bit more positive and hopefully get the players some confidence by allowing them to have some freedom in those four positions and, and finding some more effective ways to actually get them on the ball. Yeah, he was one that he was one of the few yeah that tried to make things happen. I think wasn't he? he was the player that um, kind of attempted the most dribbles for us and and kind of uh, you know wanted to get on the ball and and make things happen. But I also thought there were times when he you know his decision making was kind of poor and you know rare opportunities we got the ball and he lost it and it was kind of cheap. And I just think. Um, we have to be, you know, particularly in games like that against Liverpool, you've got to be better, haven't you? You've got to, you know, ensure you don't... Oh, dear. You've got to ensure that you, you know, retain it. Um, but that's it. He came close as anyone probably to scoring, didn't he, with that one in the second half where he kind of curled it with the instep just wide of the far post. So I think there's a I think there's a player there. Um, we just we just need to, you know, see more of him and, 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 and work out what his best position is. But I did, I did like him coming off that left-hand side, I must say. So there's... You know, ultimately, uh, a lot for for Ranieri to to look hmm. at. Um, not just the the players that he you know he started, the, the the substitutes. I need to know what's going on with Loser. I don't, I don't quite understand what's happened there. Um, hmm. No, I think Loser's. I think he's from everything I've seen. I think he's a really good player, and I think that under Cisco, I think Cisco knew. There's an element of time not on his side, and I think he didn't want to quite risk betting in a player and having that have a negative effect because he can't really look at things as long term. Um, but I do think under Ranieri, if we if we hopefully do go to a little bit more of a, a aggressive pressing game that, that Ranieri has been known for, I think Loser could be integral to that. Um, perhaps in central midfield where he's, he's had experience playing there as well in a four four two, but also from a wide position, he's also capable of playing that wide midfield role and and being quite tied in the ball and. I think we've seen these international games from Morocco in the last couple of weeks too. I know the opposition wasn't the best, but you can see what he offers. He's he's agile, he's mobile, he's got good use of the ball, he can be quite sharp, and you have to kind of include those players. I think we've been lacking that quite heavily. 
Um, and I think in the likes of Loser and Tufan, you have some different options there. So if we are looking to be a little bit more versatile, um, have the option to be a little bit more more of a threat um, and a little bit more aggressive, and I think he fits that perfectly. So it would be disappointing if he wasn't involved, um, and I'm hoping to see him in the near future kind of getting into that first team. It's it's a weird situation with with um, with with loser, isn't it? Because you know, say kind of most expensive signing this summer, um, and we've seen him for forty five minutes away at Brighton, which I didn't see because I was uh, elsewhere. Um, but he's you know seemingly barely been given a chance. Uh, wasn't on the bench for two games, the last two games of uh, of Chisco's reign, and. You know, certainly from what I've seen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've seen loads of him because I haven't. I've just watched a load of Y Scout clips, but he kind of seemed like the player that could sit in the base of midfield and look after the ball and and try and get get you know get us moving and 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 start moves off. So it's it's weird that he's uh, he's not been involved. Maybe you know under in the eyes of Chisco, he's kind of tarnished by that Brighton performance, which wasn't very good at all. Um, but I, I, I hope that for his sake, he, there's a bit of a clean slate with Ranieri, and we certainly need someone who's going to sit in there and, and and actually look after the ball rather than panicking every time they get hold of it. And I, I think that's probably one of the bigger things as well for Ranieri to sort is, you know, the the composition of that midfield. We don't have a natural ball winning midfielder still, um, so we've got we've got to find a way to make ourselves solid in that area and protect the back four. Um, you know, and I, I think we've seen several different combinations without seeing the best yet. I've got to admit, I don't really know what sort of player Tufan is. I get the impression he's from what I, the little bits I have seen and whatnot that he's kind of more creative. Um, you know, so there's a there's a time and a place for him in there. But um, again, a little bit strange that we've not seen more of him, given the the kind of fanfare around his. Arrival mostly from our, our Turkish supporter branch, obviously, but um, you know, someone with a lot of experience played for Turkey, played for big clubs in Turkey. I, f- I find it hard to believe that he can't contribute something given how poorly we've played. So, yeah, I would, I would, I would imagine we'll see a little bit more of those guys um, going forward. Certainly, certainly hope so because they can't do any worse than than we've done so far. All right, then, gents. Well, thanks very much uh, for joining me again. Uh, what uh, was hopefully. Um... I don't know, a, a bit of um, consoling for all of us here listening listening in. You know, we were able to um, forget about this one and move on, I think, is also what you want to do, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, absolutely right. It's cathartic to talk about it with you both, and here's hoping that's the last time we have such a, a downbeat pod this season. I mean, at least it wasn't six, right? That's uh... Yeah, I think, yeah, that's about the best you can say, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, well, um, if you want to uh, find out more about those guys, Jordan can be found at Jordan Weimer and uh, Tom at TB Bodell. I guess, uh, you know, I've, I've never asked this Tom, but I guess Tom Bodell wasn't t- was taken when you, when you joined Twitter. I can't believe you're asking this now. B is my middle name, so Tom Bertie Bodell. Your uh, middle name is Bertie? My middle name is Bertie. Oh, my goodness. Oh my god. That's pretty much everyone's reaction. That is that is gonna come up again <laughs> on a future pod, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, no. I, I picked that by choice, that uh, Twitter handle for that reason. And it is it was an error, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> um thanks again guys, and um yep, yeah, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 